Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Been on social media at all and any of the Jewish sites recently, you cannot help but to see the great Shmuel Reichman, who is really preeminent and uh, all over the place with his inspiring messages, LinkedIn, Facebook, WhatsApp, YouTube, you name it, he's there. He just came out with an amazing course called Self Mastery Academy, and he is trying to put together all of the great wisdom from the self-help psychological world and all of the Jewish ideas also to help people live a better, more productive, more meaningful life. And in this very far-reaching interview, we, we go into what does it mean for self-development? How do you properly use social media? Um, how do you how do you synthesize your life? What are you looking for in a mentor? What are you looking for in a lot of the endeavors that we that we 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 attempt to do in our life? And ultimately, how do you build a more meaningful life for yourself? Uh, so, with no further ado, I'm thrilled to have on take. This is a note taker one, everybody. Shmuel Reichman, ladies and gentlemen. As always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life. I wanna help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career, And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. Okay, Shmuel Reichman, the man who is ever-present in the Jewish media scene, Probably one of the most uh, accomplished and busy people I've ever I've ever had the opportunity of speaking with. I appreciate you taking the time today, Shmuel. Let me know a little bit about how you got into the world of Jewish coaching and putting out content and really focusing on inspiring the world from the perspective of Jewish wisdom. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I told you I'm such a big fan of what you do. I think that this form is necessary. I don't think it's, it's a medium which is utilized enough, especially in the Jewish world. And I'm a huge fan of what you do. So it's really just a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so it's really a good question. I'll tell you that I never envisioned myself doing this. As a kid, this was not my goal. I actually 
always wanted to be a doctor as a kid. And that was, uh, you know, as the, you know, there's a great line um, used in a lot of Indian homes that says you have three options when you're a kid. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. And yes. for me growing up, <laughs> I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be that uh, every Jewish mother wants their kid to be a doctor. Um, and for me, it's more of a story. Like I actually went through a lot of, a lot of really traumatic experiences when I was around 18, 19 years old, I experienced the most traumatic year of my life. And I would say that that year really shaped my vision and how I wanted to really go about the rest of my life. And I'll tell you like a little bit about it. Basically, I was, I was going through my day and I felt the sharp pain in my chest. And then the pain spread to my head and I just passed out. And anyone who's passed out before knows that you usually just wake up but I didn't just wake up. I had passed out before. I knew that that's what passing out would be like, but I experienced this pain and then I couldn't gain back consciousness. I had to struggle to retain consciousness and regain consciousness. And I woke up and I was really, I was horrified. I had no idea what was happening to me. And I was a healthy kid. I exercised pretty healthy. And I went to the doctors and they had no idea what was going on. And I thought this was a one-time thing and it happened again the next week. And then it started happening again and again and again. It happened for about six months and I had no idea what was happening. And every time that I passed out, I didn't know if this would be the last, like I had this sense that it was coming on and there was like this 30 seconds of this kind of intense pain beforehand. I just basically just cried out to God and said, why is this happening to you? Like, I'm not a bad person. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just trying to live a normal life. And every time I just, thought that I don't know if I'm going to wake up this time. And I had some like horrible ones. I had some ones in public. It was like a really traumatic, traumatic time in my life. But it was also the biggest gift because, uh, you know, as, as most older people know, you're not really forced to confront your mortality and the fact that you're going to die until it starts to become a reality. And for most people, since we've never experienced that, we've only experienced being alive, it's hard to really take life seriously. To, you know, sometimes we're, we're philosophically inclined for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, we'll ask questions, we'll go back to life. But for me, I, I start to really ask questions like, what, what's the purpose of my life? I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. So like, what am I living for? And am I actually trying to do something with my life, make an impact? Am I becoming the best person I can be? Have I explored my talents, my ambitions, things that I want to contribute to the world, to the Jewish people, to society? And for about six months, because I was literally facing death on a daily basis, which it was really, it was, it was gruesome, it was, it was horrifying, it was painful, and there was this, this silver lining in the sense that even in that process, I started to realize that this was a gift. And I wasn't asking for it, I didn't want it, I said, you know, you can take it back, but because I was given it, I really had the opportunity to really explore myself. And Thank God after about six months, they're able to realize there's something called vasovagal and it's something which could be prevented. If you know what's coming on, there are ways to prevent it. Thank God I haven't had an episode in many, many years, but the momentum they started to build never stopped. And I haven't had that trauma since, but I kept the motivation, the excitement, and I started to fall in love with growth and 
I became passionate. Like I became the why guy. Like I want to know what drove people. Why do some people become great and other people don't? How do you take that next step? How do you just evolve spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually? And I started to gain mentors and, and role models start to read and, and just find, you know, every piece of content I possibly could and everything. I started to fall in love with just the self-exploration. I taught myself how to play music and I started to take much better care of my health. I started to become so much more spiritually uh, in line with who I am and start to explore my talents. But then like people said, can you help me? Can you know, can, can you give me some advice? And then I started. Let me, really... let me, do you mind if I ask you a couple of uh, questions be, before we for get sure, to that? For sure. yeah. When you start, I mean, first of all, how does a person put themselves in that mentality that they don't have their life to take for granted? Meaning, meaning, like you said, you would never want, so to speak, retroactively when you're going through that medical condition. And most people that have these kind of horrific things would never, you know, you, you don't want to ask for life-threatening a mm-hmm. challenge because may, maybe maybe it won't just be life threatening. Maybe it'll take your life, or yeah. or or maybe it will. You know. So how does a person sort of uh, prepare or to I don't know the right word to like incite this level of scarcity over time without having an actual thing happen to them? That's, that's a great question. It actually became one of my. Like I'll say that two of my passions have become one to help people find their passion. It's like, you know, it's a great line. My passion to help people find their passion. But another is to help people realize that that whole theory, like you often find that the most inspired, passionate, uh, like extraordinary people you know are the people that had that experience, right? right? The people that went through the near-death experience or traumatic breakup or, you know, lost themselves, pain, got depressed, in childhood, whatever it is. Yeah. I think there's two things. Number one is, is one of the things I became so passionate about is helping people realize that you don't need that. Like if you can have a self-induced wake up call, right. which is something which you can create the experience. It's like, for example, when you're imagining things in your head, usually the way sight works is that you need external stimulus and you create that neural response of an image that you're experiencing. But if you can close your eyes and imagine you're creating that same internal experience without the external stimulus. So, very often, and this is, is deep in terms of Jewish philosophy, that sometimes the reason God will send you a wake-up call is because you're not doing it yourself. He needs to get you back on track. If you can recreate yourself without the need for an external breakdown, then that's extraordinary. I think that the way to do that is to immerse yourself in the proper mindset. So if you're immersing yourself constantly, it's like for me, people ask me like, when are you going to stop listening to motivational ideas? When are you going to stop, you know, going to these seminars and stop reading? I'm like, when I die, like, you know, like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because it's not like a medicine. It's like a vitamin. You take it every day and you need to, it's not like a, like that one quick fix of like, this is what you need to do. And you start living a great life. It's a lifestyle. It's the person that you want to become. And the way to do this is to find people that are going to infuse you with, it, with inspiration, with a paradigm shifts, with just consciousness opening ideas that will get you to live the life that you want to live. It's not like that one idea that will shake you. It's the ideas that you want to make your mentality. You eat every day because if you stop eating, you die. And if you're not growing, if you're not feeding your mind, if you're not growing spiritually and, and in every dimension of your life, you're going to start to die. And you might not 
and also like the thing is that if you realize that at the end of the day we're all mortal like we're all going to die and you just start hearing that more often it's like for some people it's too it's too negative like it's too uh, like morbid, but for me, it became the most inspiring thing. Like my mortality became the impetus and the the real motivation to live fully. And I think that for me, it was more like the initial stage was the was the breakdown. But for me, it became the lifestyle of consciousness, of awareness, of self development, self exploration, creativity. And I think when people start to realize that this is life like this is not you know you don't go to your weekend seminar and change your life you know it's not like people often think that like i'll go to that seminar or i'll go to you know i'll hear that speech and it'll change my life it's not true it'll be like the spark but you need to create a lifestyle are you learning every day are you feeding your mind are you surrounding yourself with positive people are you really asking yourself am i living fully am i living my mission? Am I contributing to the world? Am I just surviving or am I thriving? So it's that shift where you start to realize that this is not like, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a shift. It's not like a quick fix. It's a lifestyle. When people start to realize that, then they start to recreate themselves and it's creating a system. So you're saying you're saying that short of some kind of a life, first of all, first of all, I think that it's interesting because, and we're seeing this more and more, is that the definition of trauma, and 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 I think is a is a good thing in a certain sense that as we broaden the definition of trauma. Now we're talking mm-hmm. about, I was sitting with a, a prominent psychologist and he was explaining about, there are all kinds of like birth trauma and post mm-hmm. and pre birth trauma, and it's like even if you were a kid growing up in a nice environment who's you know you could still have trauma and it's like so so you don't in a way have to be envious of people that went through terrible hardships because there's a chance that you also went through terrible hardships and it's not essentially hijacking the narrative that you know people of 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 you know I feel like we sometimes feel like we can't allow ourselves because our trauma wasn't so bad to say this actually really hurt me but the truth is if we see that the that the trauma that we've had in our lives are are the fuel that could ignite this this past so then it's okay to admit and to be honest and to look in and say you know when were things or what were things that I experienced in my life that really hurt me and what do I want that to mean i think that's that's one point that i'm hearing yeah. you say also, I wanted to just, just add on that because that was the second point I wanted to make is that I think the biggest misconception that people make is that they think that they don't have a story, right? Because if you're a great speaker, you know how to formulate and access your story. Like one of the, the key principles of being a, a speaker is being able to tell of your story in a way that inspires and educates and has principles underlying the story. But I think often people hear people's story and they're like, wow, that person has such an amazing story. And they're just not writing their own story. Like they're not aware of all the incredible things that both have happened to them, the, the traumatic things that happened to them. As you started to say, sometimes it's more nuanced, but sometimes we're just not, like we don't give ourselves credit for our accomplishments, for our story. And one of the things that the Baal Machshav the Jewish thinkers always say is to write your Megillah, to write your story, to keep a journal of, you know, how did you become who you became? What experiences do you have? What have you overcome? What challenges are you facing? And when we start to concretize and just to observe outside of ourselves, our own story, we start to say like, wow, like 
I have a story. And it's, it's, it doesn't have to be the most dramatic, best-selling story. It's just like when you start to become aware of, yes, you've overcome things, you've been challenged, you've, you know, found meaning and purpose in your life, you start to become inspired to explore that story and to take it to the next step and to say, wow, I could do things. I could create things. I could achieve things. And I think very often people are very externalized. Like they're looking outside of other people and they're saying that person is so incredible, brilliant, smart, good looking, funny. And they're not trying to express their story. And I think part one is becoming aware that you have a story. And part two is taking some initiative in writing that story. So I think you're very, like, I love that point of, not only the fact that you can witness nuanced trauma in your own life, but that you can kind of take control of the story moving forward, obviously with a level of faith, but saying that like we all have an incredible story to write and we can be inspired by other people's story, but at the same time really taking initiative to continue writing our own. You know, also as, as you're speaking, what's, what's coming to mind is that I think that how storytelling is portrayed is something that's becoming, it's interesting and it's nuanced because like you, you, you look at something like Game of Thrones, which is so patently not true, but then it resonated because there's a lot that's true in that. And it's, it's like, or, or is it like reality television or, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of times people feel that their stories are not impressive because they're not an epic story. And it's like, you know, and, and so what's an epic story? So you might think to yourself, you know, um, I, I'm not sure you think that you need this, like this, this tremendous story. But I think that what, what ultimately appeals to people in every story, again, this, this you know, the graphics might have been great in a certain show, but there were moments in a fiction that touched on something true. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the sign of an excellent fiction or an excellent story is that through the struggles of the characters, it touches something true that you couldn't just write out. This I love is it. I love it. it. Does that make I, sense? I, you know, I really, I really hear it. Like, I'll tell you, like, for me, I always think that the reason why people so relate to the, the adventure and the quest idea is because and we always always kind of externalize and self portray like we project ourselves onto the main character and we like view ourselves as kind of being like that main person who's the chosen one the person to go on the quest to find themselves to achieve greatness save the world is because deep down we all believe that like we are so to speak on this journey we're like this main character on this quest and i also think that like if you lived your life that way, if you lived your life thinking that everything you did is being written down in like this novel, like you're, you're actually writing a story, then you'd be so accepting and excited about the fact that you're at this low or you're like falling apart because every story is the same. Start out here, life falls apart, find yourself, go on this crazy quest, achieve greatness. Just before the end, like there's just some, everything falls apart and then like, you know, everything gets, like you wouldn't, you would view your life differently if you're actually thinking that like your life is significant, you're part of a story. And I mean, like within Judaism, that's. If I, if I could, if I could add on even more to that, I think that if there's to a certain extent, we, we, one of the things that I'm definitely very guilty of is, is trying to clean up the story too quickly. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, so when I was working on some of this stuff that I was writing, like the autobiographical stuff that I was writing, you know, it's like, I don't know where it's going to end, but it has to end nice. And <laughs> I think that if people have a certain, and maybe it's just myself, we have a certain need to like talk having accomplished whatever we're walking people through. And I think that that's a misnomer in a lot of ways because people don't want to necessarily see how it works, how it cleans up. But if you think about it, like if you were like writing a story for your children or for your grandchildren that they can read when they're in their, again, it's like, that's a very Jewish concept. You know, it's like, no one wants to read, like how does all of most of these, most of these, you know, the biblical personalities, most of the stories are absolutely horrifically traumatic mm -hmm. and tragic and awful. And, you know, seeing, I don't know, like just like Moshe, for example, like dying, knowing that everything he lived for in a couple hundred years was going to get completely uprooted. Everyone's going to get kicked out. And ultimately it's like, that's not an inspiring story, but it's a very inspiring story because he went anyway. Does that make sense? So it's like- it's, uh, 100%, 100%. It's, 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 I, I very much relate to that. I very much relate. I think that like also for so many people, especially like in the, in the self-development world and the inspiration world and the philosophy world, where- people are looking to you for inspiration while they're not yet at that success point. So they don't relate so much to like, I made it. They relate to the struggle. Like they relate to like, it's not working out and they're in that mindset. So like if, if for example, a great novelist will be able to know, and there's all different philosophies of how do you write a novel? Do you write a novel where you know the exact story from the beginning and you're just basically writing out, you let, you know, basically say, I'm creating the characters. I'm going to let them just go wherever they want to go. I have no idea where it's going to go. Or do I like, I have a destination. I'm going to create the characters. I'm just going to like allow them to somehow figure out how it gets to the end. And I think like a great writer knows that to, to write a great story, you have to really get inside the reader's head and make sure that you're creating a journey that at the point, at each point in the journey, they don't know where it's going to go. Cause if you know where it's going to go, it's like that takes away the entire excitement of the discovery of, of the, the process, the evolution of the journey. And I think when you talk about like the messiness of the journey, like the struggle, the fact that things aren't working out so many people, they need that. Like they need to see, for example, humanizing people that do great things, like showing that like, no, it wasn't always great. Like I got fired and I got rejected from 25 things and I didn't know I was broke and I was, you know, uh, my relationships. Were, like when people see like, well, like these people are like me, like they didn't have it all figured out. And yet even so they're able to like have that faith in the process and go through that, that journey of becoming, I, I think that's somewhat even more inspiring than just seeing greatness itself. And I think you need both. Like, I think that you need to have that sense of like awe for people to do great things. But I think that when you have the relatability factor the fact that, whoa, these people are human. Like they, they, they do normal things and they're, they're like me. They might be like in a completely different realm and a different level because they've so excelled in their life. But I at least see the humanness in the sense that it's attainable, it's reachable, I can strive. And I think that's so important for, like, I think when you have role models, you should have at least one of each. Like you should have a role model who you can actually speak to as a person, like someone who gets you. And you should also have people who just blow your mind, like who you're in awe of, who just like, like, I don't know if I can even speak to that type of people. It's like a year of, of like, you know, having that balance. You know, and, and also I think that that's an interesting thing is, so, is sometimes or, or all the time that 
when you have those people that are larger than life in your life, that you can lead them and be comfortable with them being larger than life. Mm-hmm. And, and because as soon as there's a great story about, it was the Briskarov and someone else. But basically he was trying to figure out a halacha and he said, just tell me what it is and don't tell me how you came up to it because whatever you tell me, I'm going to be able to refute you and I can't, I can't like live in, the, in this consistent doubt. And I think also there's a certain, on the flip side, while we try to humanize every story. It was the Briskarov, yeah. What's that? that? Was, it was Rav Chaim and Brisk, yeah. That's the Rav famous and story. And who's the other guy? It was some posek that lived in the community and like he had basically, like that's why uh, all these Lamdanim are not postmas because they're so, this gets into a different conversation about like the multiplicity within learning Gemara and right. learning Halacha in the sense of like being able to understand every approach and the, the nuances and the logic behind every single thing, being able to break down every single possibility and say that like that's, you know, it, it's, the, it's the multiplicity of truth within the realm of at least Bina and logic and Talmud and Gemara. And when you're so in tune with every single thread of logic and you kind of see the, the truth in everything, you it's really hard to paskin. Right. It's really hard to live in. Cause like passing halacha means saying that I'm going to live by A, but if I see the truth of B and C and D, how can I do A? So right. what he would do is say just, you'll be the posek, like I'm greater than you in Lundus, but you'll be the posek and I'll live by your halacha and don't tell me why, because then I won't be able to live by your life. Right. So, that, so just... that, I think that's the point. On the flip side of the fact that it's so crucial, and this was something I was, I was literally just, just speaking about this idea, you know, like it's so crucial, the, the, the terror of Instagram, the terror of social media, is that there's this idea that there's a, tr- a progression in your life in order for you to get to where you want to get to. And at the touch of a button, and I would, I would argue this, you know, because you always hear like all the, everyone gets up and say, you know, like there's so much danger with what you can do, just, you know, what you could see, whatever it might be. I think even, an even greater danger than, again, I'm not going to put myself in, the, in, that, in that discussion, but one of the for sure great dangers of social media is you are consistently surrounded by people that are running and you're still walking and you don't get access behind the scenes to see the story and understand it. And so a person has to, on one hand, be very careful to appreciate the path that a, a person went on so that they don't, they're not so hard on themselves. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? I think it does, but it's also like, I mean, once we're opening up the, the, the can of worms, the social media discussion, I, I think it's, it's, there's so much good. And like, I'm a firm, firm believer, like the Maharal talks about how everything is potential. Every, they're like, you know, people will often say like, this is horrible, this is good. It's like, nothing's black and white and everything is a question of how do you utilize the potential? So people often say like, technology is good or technology is bad. And they'll say like, social media is good, social media is bad. It's all a, a mechanism, it's a tool. It's something which could be used for horrible things, could be used for great things. Like electricity can light up a community, it can electrocute you. Um, right. Water, can you drink it? It can create a flood, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's how you use it. So social media is extraordinary. Like you can use it to spread ideas and, and motivation to communicate, to enlighten. And it can also, first of all, it, it's, it's addictive. So they've done these, I don't know if you're aware of all the studies, but they've shown that social media and just like the, the idea of having a phone in your pocket is it sets off these neural responses, which are similar to the experience that you have when you do cocaine and drugs. And when it comes to alcohol and drugs, there are limitations. Alcohol, you have to at least be a certain age. When it comes to the phone, 
like there's no age limit. So you're giving kids these addictive substances where they're not learning how to control it. They're becoming obsessed with it. It's like, you know, the phone syndrome where like you think you got to text all day. Like you're just like your whole mind's outside yourself. At the same time, it could be extraordinary. But I think when it comes to social media, it's, it's like the, the one thing that so many people struggle with is self-perception, is, is having that self-worth, that, that sense of like, I belong, that I'm significant, that I'm good enough. And social media is people's chance to try to like craft their identity in, in, in somewhat of a potentially artificial way. So like, I'm sure you're aware of all the, the news you know, and all the, the, the studies in terms of how people create their perfect life on social media, which is just not a reflection of their life. So it's like, this is what my life looks like. And you see like a picture of like a perfectly set Travis table. And then you walk into their house and like the kids are screaming and everything's all over the place. And like, you know, they got that one shot. It, it's, it's like, if you use social media as a, as a way of, of self-expression and creativity and connection and education, it's an extraordinary tool. But if it becomes a mask where you're just trying to help other people see the way that you want to be seen, then it can be, you know what I'm saying? It could be extremely no, Totally. And, but I think that also there's a certain user beware that, that, that the, more, the more sophisticated a person becomes is to realize on one end, yeah, you don't want to be showing off something that's not authentic. On the other hand, if you're seeing all kinds of things that look fantastic, to realize that those might also be a certain level of inauthenticity. Yeah. Well, it's not even inauthenticity, but it's like, you know, the maid went in and made that Shabbos table and all the screaming kids are in a different room and there's not a picture in the other room. And just assume that there's no like beautiful Shabbos table out there that, that doesn't have screaming kids somewhere else. And, you know, so, so I think there's a certain like user, a user um, beware type of thing that you just have to know when you look at stuff. But I think on the flip yeah. side, Go ahead, what are you going to say? I'm saying, I think, I think everyone lives in their self-contained. Like, I think that some people, like, are so, like, they intuit the truth of this, as in they know that other people might not be, like, giving, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you look at people's social media feeds, you often see, like, highlight reels. Like, you see their vacations right. and their beautiful pictures and their, like, whatever, like, you can filter your pictures so it looks like you're 20 times better looking than you. Like, you can do all these things to make it look like this self like is high Yeah. And then you look at other people's feeds and you think that they're not doing what you're doing. So it's like, if you get your, or lose your self-worth based on looking at other people, then you're going to really struggle. I mean, this is before social media, like the, the one-on-one of self-worth is internalized self-worth. It's looking within, finding who you are, becoming the best version of yourself and just expressing that out into the world. And when you're starting from the outside and saying, what do other people think? What do other people want? How should I dress? How should I talk? What's important? And you're not doing it from a, what's right and what's true, but you want to sort of belong and become accepted, then you're going to create something artificial. And I think social media just, like, it, it kind of takes everything, like, that concept and exponentially makes it more difficult because it's so easy now to, like, look at other people's feeds. And, like, you just, you go on Facebook or Instagram and, like, you find yourself just scrolling for, like, you know, who knows how long. And it can be very... It, you talk about trauma, you can create a lot of problems in terms of becoming obsessed with other people's lives and how their life is so perfect and my life isn't. So I, I think that whenever we talk about social media, like there's so much potential 
And I think that even if you're not like a, like a content creator where like you're creating inspirational content or philosophical content or spiritual content, but even if you're just like a person who just wants to, you know, share their life and stories with friends. And I think that's, that's incredible. Like, I, I think it's, it's not that, like, I don't think we're going to be able to create limits. Like, in you know, alcohol, you have a limit in terms of, like, just a, a law-induced limit. But I think when it comes to social media, it's more like a responsibility for whoever in your life is, is your role model, whoever, if you have a role model position, to understand the challenges and just to try to, like, guide people in terms of having this be a tool, like we just talked about, as opposed to being so detrimental to your self-development. Because um, I... Tell me if you could, as someone that has had to explore, and, and it's like a, it's an interesting idea. And it, there was a, I mean, in, in a lot of ways where, you know, you're, you're, you're a Jewish man that studies the Torah and you're a, a, a person that studies, you know, self-development and, and shares it. How have you, what's that process like for you? Or how do you help clients kind of drill down? And like you said, find that sense of authentic who you really are like what was that process like for you and how do you help people discover that so it's a great question i'd say that for me it's it's an ongoing process i'm far from a from a finished product i i, I think the biggest superpower a human being can have is falling in love with growth and falling in love with becoming a better version of yourself like i, I think that we're very into like the love yourself mentality i think that's great but I don't think it's love who you are to the extent that I'm happy being stagnant. I think it's love who you've become, love your journey, but also fall in love with the process of becoming more. So I think that if you can harness self-awareness, which is a lot of people, their biggest fear in life is being alone in a room for more than 10 minutes. They've done studies that people would rather get shocked by like an electric zapper than be alone by themselves. And it's like, if you can... Why is that? So I, I think people, like, until you start developing something amazing in yourself, you start feeding your mind, start exploring, start becoming something real inside, like building an internal world, having a worldview of philosophy and ideology, feeding your mind ideas, exploring, shifting your paradigms, changing and altering your consciousness to really expand. And until you start doing that, you're going to be very empty. I mean, we're getting to Hanukkah and the whole yeah. battle of Hanukkah is the battle of darkness versus light. And Chazal talked about a lot of the concept of like darkness of consciousness, like blocking out higher consciousness, which is the battle against Torah. If people are building anything internal, then it's very, very scary to be alone because you confront your own emptiness. If you're, if you're not in love with who you are, it's most likely because you haven't been building something great inside of you. And that's why a lot of people are so they cling to external stimulus phones, friends, a screen, anything, a book, anything to create something external coming in. Because if they're not, they're bored and they're empty. And it's why Shabbos can be the most exhilarating experience because oh, you awful. get to really say, who am I? Like, what have I become? Put away everything. All technology goes away. Or it can be really depressing. Yeah. Like, if you don't love who you are, Shabbos could be that experience of selflessness, but not in like the ideal sense, but like, oh my gosh, like, I'm empty. So I think the first thing is to fall in love with self-exploration, walking, like the first time it's going to be hard. The first couple of times you go into a room by yourself and you're, you're bored and you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. 
But if you start to say like, I'm going to start writing down things by myself, walk into a room and I'm going to say like, who am I? I don't know. Like, what am I passionate about? What are my skills? What are my talents? What, what, when do I feel the most alive? What do I think I want to cultivate? What talents and skills haven't I yet explored or do I want to explore further? What would I want to contribute to other people's lives? And it doesn't have to be like, I believe personally that everyone can scale their life immeasurably. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about business scaling it, seeing like where it can go. I think that people can can scale their lives immeasurably and have such a massive impact. I think that the thing holding a lot of people back is fear, lack of self-worth, lack of self-confidence. And whether it's, you know, you want to share a message on a public forum and you can't speak, or whether it's you don't believe that your ideas are worth sharing, or whether it's you don't think you're talented enough, or you're going to wait until one day where you're more successful. I think there's a lot of things holding people back. But if you can just put all those things on the side, just hold it and just say, like, forget what's holding me back. What is it that I want to create? I, I, that's what I mean. That's personally why I love I love coaching. It's because for me, you need a coach if you want to be great. And everyone will agree that if you want to be a great sports player, you want to be a great in any you know business coaching, um, sports coaching, any of the arts. You want to get like a tutor, a mentor, a coach. But when it comes to life, it's the same thing. Like, why do you need a coach to really break down mental paradigms to get you past things that are holding you back? To motivate you, to inspire you, to keep you accountable, to get you on that right track, to give you a system, to give you tools, to open up your mind. Like, I I think that for most people, they're not yet self-motivated enough to create the system themselves. And I think that the, like for me, like the ideal is for a person to be self-motivated, not need a, a coach, but I think very often we just need people to really, at least in the starting point, to just get us out of that comfort zone, to get us out of where we're like, I'm okay being okay. And just to get to the point where like, no, no, I want to achieve something great. And for- no, I was gonna say, so as, as you're on that path and then you start to build where there's nothing, then the aloneness doesn't seem so scary anymore. I will say that it's like for people that don't understand this, they're just going to be like, what? But it not only becomes not scary, it becomes the most enjoyable thing ever. An opportunity. And I love, I love people. I have an incredible wife. I have incredible relationships. But being by myself is for me the most exhilarating because it's kind of where like if you're into sleep theory, sleep theory is where like a lot of uh, psychology is basically showing that what you do in your sleep is you basically take everything during your day and you integrate it and you allow it to basically become subsumed within your consciousness. And for me, that's what being alone is. It's saying like, let's recalibrate, let's, let's redirect, let's just like create that oneness and synthesis of everything that I have been doing and have become and let's let's take it to the next step and it becomes exciting when people become self-aware when you start to like understand your evolution your 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 so to speak your process like how you think like how you've changed and i think also it's so important a lot of people they're not so good at becoming aware of how much they've accomplished like you've asked people like so what have you accomplished in the past couple of weeks? A lot of people will say like, ah, like, you know, like not so much. But if you start to just go down to it and you start to be able to analyze and be able to discern growth, your life changes because that's when growth becomes enjoyable. When you start to, it's like people go to Israel 
for usually one or two years to study. In the, in the religious world, if you're in Chutzlarts, if you're in usually like America or Europe, you go to Israel for a year or two. It's so enjoyable and people will say like, it's so enjoyable in the beginning because you're, you can see so much change. Like I wasn't learning Gemara or I wasn't learning it nearly as intensely. Now I'm learning. I wasn't working on Amidos, so my character traits. Now I am. I wasn't, I was speaking Lush and Hara. I was just speaking, speaking to Ali about people and now I'm not. So that's easy. Like it's easy to get inspired, to be motivated, to see the growth. But after you start going from black and white to like the nuance chipping away and, and really perfecting your craft, it starts to, unless you're really good at understanding and recognizing growth, you start to lose the excitement. And the muscle, the analogy I always like to give is like a sculpture. When you start to build sculpture, you cut away giant slabs. Let's say you're going to sculpt a person. So you get a giant big cinder block. You start to sculpt away giant slabs and it's like, whoa, look at the, the impact I'm making. But then you start to just like, you know, perfect the sculpture and chip away a little bit. And if you don't learn to love that tiny little nuanced detail and the perfection like last time I was doing it this but now I'm doing it a little better and now that's growth like that's a life of growth and, and something which I'm so passionate about is getting people to enjoy not only the initial stages of the excitement but also as well as like, like in psychology it's called um I forgot the exact term but like within the first let's say we'll call it like the first 30 days of, of trying anything new you go from zero to 60. So let's say you start to play the guitar. I remember when I was, when I was teaching myself to play guitar and piano, the first couple weeks, even the first couple months, it's so exciting because you go from not being able to do anything to all of a sudden I can like play a tune. It's like, it's, it's mind blowing that human being can evolve and can transform themselves to build a new skill. But then once you go from that zero to 60, to get from 60 to 61, can take like the same amount of time it took when you get to zero 60 you start saying i'm not doing anything i'm just falling apart like this is not worth it anymore and that's when people give up when it stops when they stop recognizing the growth and the way when it starts when it starts getting harder and they start seeing the fact that they're gonna have to put in so much more work to get so much less of that next step but if you can start to realize that like it is about the journey of growth and that you'll never be perfect but you have to learn to enjoy the process then that becomes so enjoyable. And for me, like, I, I just, I would say that the one thing that I really try to work on is enjoying the process, like loving every small thing. And, and I think that if there's one thing that I think can really be that shift in, in what takes your life to the next level. It's obviously having great goals, but it's building the mindset of I'm going to enjoy the struggle. I'm going to enjoy all the setbacks. I'm going to enjoy every step of the process because I'm not trying to, arrive at my destination i'm trying to grow and i think that can be so life-changing that was awesome um shmuel tell us a little bit about how people can find you i know you have a new online program that you have devoted a great deal of your time and effort into that uh is is doing phenomenally well so tell us a little bit about that and how people can uh hear more of the great stuff that you have to offer Sure, of course. So I think the best way is my website, shmuelreichman.com. Obviously, you can find me on all the social media platforms. But on the website, basically, you have my weekly content, you have my coaching, but you also have my new course, which, uh, which I just put out a couple months ago, which is, I mean, in my mind, like, I love creating, like, I create music, I create content. But creation for me is not, like, why do we create? We create things that we just love expressing. And for me, the reason why I created 
this course is because I wanted to do it for myself. Like I, I find that like, and I've taken so many courses and I've you know invested in, in and Jewish philosophy and psychology, neuroscience philosophy, but there's so little in terms of integrating all those pieces together. And for me, I had to spend years just immersing myself in all the different crafts to be able to synthesize. So I want to learn the principles of life, the why, the, the purpose of life. I also want to like go into high performance psychology and neuroscience to be able to master my own life. But there was no one for me that was doing all those pieces. So I found that like, I think that success leaves a trail. You, like, you find the best in every field and you just immerse your mind in them. So for me, I went in that exploration, exploratory process to really build it for myself and I just wanted to share with people. So I built a 10-week systematic course that's meant to really just take your life from where you are to where you want to go. I called it Self Mastery Academy. I believe that like one of the major goals of life is to really master your life, is to become the best and ultimate version of yourself. And that's why I created this course. It's meant to really just like help you understand who you are, what you're trying to accomplish, help you master your mind, your psychology, to really harness the power of will, to set goals that work and to really just live an extraordinary life. And I'm really just excited. People have been just, it can go on the site. People have been sending their feedback and video test. It's just like, it's amazing the impact that it's had. And um, I really hope that it continues to inspire and to impact. Love it. Okay, Shmuel, I feel like we, we kind of just scratched the surface, but this was a, uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. It's an incredible opportunity. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.